This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hello and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. I'm your host Greg Watson and this is the show where we talk all things property or at least as much as we can squeeze into this half hour format. This week we're going to talk a little bit about the market. The latest Real Estate Institute of New Zealand figures have come out and then a few articles that have been in the media around the market. We'll talk about that to try and figure out what's really happening and as opposed to what the headlines are saying. So we'll just delve into that a little bit. And then later on in the show, we're going to have a couple of very interesting house sales, if you can call a lighthouse a house, but uh, at least a couple of very interesting sales that are really interesting stories. And where in the world can you go where they will pay you $97,000 to move there? I'll tell you that soon. And uh, in the meantime, we'll just get into the market. And the latest Real Estate Institute of New Zealand report that has come out relates to property sales in May, and they usually compare things to a year before. Here's a couple of the, I guess, the key points. The Real Estate Institute of New Zealand CEO, Jen Beard, says that tighter credit conditions, higher mortgage rates and increased housing supply continue to affect the New Zealand property market. Sales are slower to complete, property is staying on the market longer, and the upward pressure on prices is easing. So that's important wording. It's still moving up, but it's easing, according to the latest data uh, in these insights. A couple of those stats. Across New Zealand, the median price for residential property has increased 2.4% annually from $820,000 in May of 2021 to $840,000 in May 2022. They do a bit of a wrap-up within that, but I just thought I'd mention that apart from the national figure, uh, what's happening in Auckland? They're down 2.2% year on year from 1.125 million to 1.15 million. Then, if we take Auckland out of the equation, it paints a little bit of a different picture for the rest of New Zealand because the volume of properties in Auckland can bring that national figure down. And remember, that national figure was 2.4% increase year on year. So if we take out Auckland and just look at the rest of New Zealand, the median house price has gone up 7.6% year on year. So it's now $730,000 up from 678500 this time a year ago. You'll hear me leafing through pages and pages that I've got here of, uh, of documents to bring you, the, I guess, the short version. Now in terms of annual median price changes, Auckland is the only area that where it's gone down. Some of the areas that are still performing well, Taranaki up almost 19% in the last 12 months, Bay of Plenty 10.7%, Gisborne 7.3%, Manawatu Wanganui up 5.6%, West Coast up almost 31%. Now one thing to consider with areas that are a bit smaller is the stats can be skewed by a low number of sales. But nevertheless, here Manawatu Wanganui up 5.6%, Wellington up one2 So as I've talked about before on the show, we will notice that the larger centres, things will taper off, and Manawatu is somewhat insulated by the sheer volume of work that we've got. 
and the sheer volume of people moving into this region. So in fact, within Manawatu Wanganui, which is a pretty large district, uh, the Ruapehu district reached a record median price of 470000 So in May, owner-occupiers were the most active buyer segment, whereas the number of investors and first home buyers declined due to the tightening lending criteria, rising interest rates and high price expectations held by some vendors. That's according to Jen Baird, the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand CEO. She goes on to say in Manawatu, Wanganui, that attendance at open homes improved, but many buyers were not acting with a sense of urgency as late last year. Unsurprisingly, as stock levels increased 140% year on year, there is now a wide range of choice. Agents in the region say they expect the current slower market conditions to continue until vendors decide to lower their price expectations. So to see where things are there... So let's have a look. Within our region, they break it up into smaller areas. Palmas North City, for example, the average, or I should say the median house price is up 2.3%, now to 670000 as a median. Manawatu District, up 11.5%. That's just the outlying areas. Includes fielding as well, up from 601 a year ago to 670. Rapehu up. 17.5, although the volume of sales is low, so that affects those figures a bit. And Wanganui up 14.6% from a median price of 480000 a year ago to 550000 now. So the, I've got a, a, a picture of a graph in front of me that shows the upward trend of prices in Manawatu and Wanganui, and they took a big hit when the government announced the loan uh, changes to lending and the uh, amount in which people can lend relative to their income. And then it went up again and then another big hit which affected uh, the, uh, um, I guess, the credit and ability to lend of many people. So what's happened is in that article uh, by Jen Baird, she mentions, and this is very true in Manawatu Wanganui, the people who are able to buy and sell houses at the moment the easiest are people that already own houses and are upsizing or downsizing. The ones that are having a lot of trouble with a lot of the regulations and changes that have happened either by government or in the market in general or by the Reserve Bank or the banks, that was rather a long sentence, are first home buyers who are finding it exceptionally tough and also investors. So I slow down those two areas. So this article by Miriam Bell on stuff says how you control the housing market. So buyer sentiment about the housing market has shifted and experts say the mood change is playing a big part in the market slowdown. Falling house prices and sales activity have been accompanied by marked decline in buyer expectations. The latest ASB housing confidence survey shows that only 11% of New Zealanders now think prices will rise over the next year. That's a big fall from 49% in its last survey. In contrast, housing confidence plummeted to lows of around minus 50% when the global financial crisis hit in the market in 2008. ASB's survey also shows a net 20% of people think it's a bad time to buy a house and consumer NZ surveying in April supports that as well. It found that just 21% think it is a good time to buy, while 49% think it's a bad time to buy. This explains why there are less buyers out there. Increasing numbers of people expect prices to decrease, and 80% still believe the market is overinflated or out of control. 
But both surveys show a slight improvement in buyer sentiment. In Consumer NZ's February survey, 58% said it was a bad time to buy, while in the previous ASB survey, 28% thought it was. So that's, it is changing. CoreLogic Head of Research Nick Goodall outlines the looming factors that could sink house prices. And actually, just to refer to an, another economist, Tony Alexander, I'll just jump across there. The latest survey of real estate agents reveals a fear of overpaying or what he calls FOOP, has taken hold with 73% of agents reporting that buyers are worried about paying too much. And that's up from 19% in October. So it just shows those two massive hits. So last year there was a sense of urgency as demand outweighed supply and there was strong competition for property, again according to Jen Baird of the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. People felt that prices would continue to rise, rise believed it was a good time to buy, and so they did. Agents started reporting slower open homes and less interest back in November and sentiment shifted quickly from there. The introduction of policies to moderate the market, including new lending rules, contributed. And so these factors led to a perception that purchasing a property is less attainable and that price growth was unsustainable. Buyers have stepped back, waiting to see the direction of the market before they make a decision. Now this is quite a common behaviour when the media is reporting uh, drops or dips and that sort of thing. As I mentioned earlier, the prices here have gone up 5.6% in the last 12 months, yet they often refer to a dip in the rate of growth <laughs> as opposed to an actual dip in the house prices. So buyer sentiment comprises of a mixture of things from pricing to lending criteria to available stock, but ultimately no one wants to feel like they've purchased an overpriced property and is very much a reality for those who have made recent purchases, according to Consumer NZ spokesperson Gemma Rasmussen. And while experts say it is a clear correlation between how people feel about the market and the way it's moving, they are divided about the degree to which sentiment drives the market or merely reflects it. Alexander says an event, that's Tony Alexander, economist, says an event such as a change in interest rates might start a market cycle moving in a particular direction, but it's widespread shifts in sentiment that really gets the cycle running up or down. So what people think and feel about the market is what drives it. But sentiment also feeds on itself and it goes in a circular direction. And there always comes a point when people start to feel prices are pretty low, so it's a good time to buy again and that kick-starts more activity. Experienced investors will know this will happen as they understand how property cycles work, he says. They're waiting for sellers to fully capitulate to the change market and then they'll get an early for the best deals as the mood shifts again. So quite interesting there. So there's definitely a correlation between how people feel about the market and what the market does. That's not really a surprise, I guess. Does one cause the other? Um, I would say no. <laughs> it does seem to be just a correlation. This article by Kylie Klein-Nixon in Stuff Lifestyle section says how some people are still selling property fast despite the slow market. So they give this example. Wellington vendor Deb was really worried about putting her quirky 1980s built home on the market and they've got a picture of it. It's a, what would that be, three-storied home on, yeah, really interesting looking place. Quirky does describe it well. Interest rates were up. The media was saying everything was dropping and the banks were getting much harder to deal with. The market had turned and got really yucky, she says. She had spent the summer getting the house ready for sale with a rating value of $1.32 million. She sought buyer inquiries over $1.13 million. But the two offers she got came quickly, exceeding her expectations, and she sold for 1.3. Now, the average property listed on Trade Me um, 
this is just talking about the length of time it takes to sell your home. It's all, in some parts of the country, actually, it's now twice as long as what it was a year ago. So the average property listed on TradeMe was advertised for 51 days in April, and that's up 56% year on year. So it's good if you're a first home buyer, but tough if you're trying to sell. So some, like Deb, are still managing to do it quickly and achieve prices they're happy with. Is there any secret behind it? Well, for Deb, the key was remaining realistic. She worked hard to find the right agent. She interviewed three just to see who she thought would do the best job. And I would always advise that you get a few opinions for a large uh, undertaking, such as selling a house. I guess I was an informed seller. I think it helps you take an active role in the selling process, and she was pleased with the offers she got. Remember, we have had a number of years of really good growth. So if the market is coming back a bit, uh, still uh, many people are selling uh, for a really nice uh, increase on the value of the property, which I'll give some examples a bit later on. So she says she was happy she got any offers, but she wasn't sure she would. She got two, so she had a choice. They both came with conditions, and that's just how it is at the moment. And the difference between the offers were 10 cents. It wasn't especially close. I was just happy to take the biggest one. So that's a bit of a, a, a story there as well. And finally, this article by Connor Nell on stuff.co.nz. The article says, a buyer's market if you can pass through the threshold hurdles. This relates a little bit to what I was talking about before, how it's hard going for first-time buyers and investors. So this article says, the property market is in favour of buyers but struggles to get a, but struggles to get a mortgage are making first-home buyers despondent. With a 20% deposit for, for home buyers and a rising cost of living, many are questioning whether buying a house is a realistic goal. They talk about the latest REINZ market report, saying that many first home buyers have disengaged with the market and are observing what is happening in a wait and see attitude. Real Estate Institute of New Zealand Ambassador Andy Stewart from here in Manawatu said house prices were trending back towards affordability. With the median price coming back to 670 mark for Palmer's North, it is more affordable. Sales dropped 28% in April and came back 28%, so we're somewhat back on track to last year's rate. He says first home buyers' concerns is making a deposit and rising interest rates are a concern too. I think a lot of them are taking a backward step to see what happens with prices, but I don't think there'll be relief any time soon, which I agree with as well. It may um, be fairly static, possibly for the next 12 months, and then it will just head back up again. So Stuart says he could understand why young first home buyers might be put off. If you've been saving your backside off and then the goalposts get moved, it's not very encouraging. Then they've still got to pay rent, which is also going up, and make serious adjustments to their lifestyle and spending changes. My big fear for them would be those on fixed or lower interest rates. If they keep rising, they could be in for a big shock. Harcourt's real estate consultant Richard Jensen echoed similar issues he'd seen from his side of the market. Based in Palmer's North, he said first-home buyers had a lot to consider in the current market. We're not worrying about negative equity now, but people are really concerned about how they're going to make those mortgage repayments with the cost of living rising, because that's sort of a double whammy, really. You've got uh, inflation moving general prices up, plus house prices are up there as well. With the interest rates going up, um, he says, many banks are pressure-testing higher interest rates for potential lenders, Though that process, you really need about around $2,000 a month left over after expenses, and that's really slowed the market. That all said, he said there's still a lot of market activity in the regions. So the volume in the market is still there. We've made more sales in Palmerston North than last month. It's not all doom and gloom. It just means that we as vendors need to put work in to make those sales happen. 
And issues around housing affordability and accessibility had been noted in CEDA's recent quarterly economic review, and Chief Executive Jerry Sherman said it had a knock-on effect attracting talent into the regional economy. He says it's a big consideration for people moving here and those who are already based here but might be looking at going elsewhere. We're having those conversations with regional leaders. A big mitigating factor will be looking at rezoning for new developments to increase supply. And that's a big one in this region for the next few years will be supply and demand. As I mentioned, a lot of people moving here for a lot of large projects needing places to live. So we'll now go to an article changing tack now a bit. Here's a couple of these interesting sales that have happened just recently. And the first one is from an article called Frantic Bidding at Ripper Auction to Secure Art Deco Parnell Unit that last sold for 169000 Now, this is a property that I featured on the show a little while ago. It's a small Art Deco unit in Parnell. It's called Gladstone Court. Really charming-looking little place. Attracted more than 50 bids in a heated auction in June 15th, finally selling for $1.32 million after coming on the market at $1.225 million. Council records show that three-bedroom unit in the double grammar zone last sold in 1982 for 169000 That's made a $1.16 million profit over 40 years. Isn't that amazing? Listing agent Greg Beyer of Ray White Parnell said there were six registered bidders with three actively bidding. It was a ripper, he says. It started with a bid of 500000 from the auctioneer and I thought, oh, that's low, but it just took off. Location and character are key reasons for the interest. It's charming, the central location. It's Parnell Gold, to be honest. I would have bought it my daughter if we hadn't already secured something last year. So it's only a 99-square-metre house, uh, and that's uh, you know, quite amazing indeed. I also may have featured on a recent show the fact that you could buy a lighthouse recently if you wanted to. And this is a follow-on article that says Lighthouse Property Sale Profits Coast Guard New Zealand with $50,000 donation. It's a picturesque headland property with its own working lighthouse has been sold for an undisclosed seven-figure sum with $50,000 of the proceeds going to a volunteer search and rescue organisation, Coast Guard New Zealand. So it's a 26-hectare property at Cape Rodney near Lee. I uh, did feature it on the show a while ago when it was first listed and uh, a, a year ago when the donation was proposed. It features 1.5 kilometres of coastline real estate with exclusive access to its own private beaches. A working lighthouse at the tip of the headland has been a flashing beacon since 1967, producing a beam of LED light projecting some 10 nautical miles out into the Hauraki Gulf. The fully automated solar-powered lighthouse is administered by Maritime New Zealand. So the property has access to multiple swimming and snorkelling spots along its edges with magnificent rocky outcrops. Seals can often be seen basking at the bottom of the track leading down to the water. Former owners Neil Narron and Shirley Ann Williams have uh, visited the Coast Guard New Zealand headquarters in Auckland to hand over a $50,000 donation from the sale. They say, being on the coast and with the lighthouse on a headland, we've always had a very close affinity with the sea, Narron says. And part of that was appreciating the outstanding work of Coast Guard New Zealand does in protecting boaties. Having seen the life-saving work which Coast Guard New Zealand has undertaken, supporting and promoting boaties in need, as well as a coastal environment, it was an easy decision for us to offer some financial support. 
So that's pretty cool, really. It does make you wonder about uh, is that something that you could do in selling your house? Take a part of that uh, with the growth that we've had over recent years and effectively donate uh, that to a charity of your choosing, Food for Thought. Now, I did say in the intro to the show we'd talk about the place in the world quoted as being one of the most beautiful places in the world where you can get paid $97,000 to move there. Well, we've got the archipelago of Orkney or the Isle of Skye in Scotland that are effectively an effort to stave off increasing depopulation in those stunning, albeit remote parts of the UK constituent country. The Scottish Government is handing out incentives of up to £50,000, that's $97,000, for people to move to the countryside. Called the Island Bond Fund, the scheme's mission statement reads, the Scottish Government committed to developing a $5 million Islands Bond Fund, providing up to £50,000 each for 100 households by 2026 by providing financial support for island residents to remain in their community or to encourage people to move there. A tiny Scottish island which has, is just 2.4 kilometres wide has been voted UK's top tourist hidden gem. Iona Island and the Inner Hebrides topped a list of 20 lesser-known beauty spots which also included the Fairy Pools on the island of Skye and Lundy Island in the Bristol Channel. According to a spokesperson, we launched the Islands Bonds consultation on 2nd of August 2021, providing an opportunity for Ireland's residents in particular to identify the key challenges that a bond may be able to respond to. And according to the website tyler.com, a payment scheme has already well, been well received with applications coming in as far away from South America. It's hoped that, aside from increasing the locals' populations, it will also encourage newcomers to innovate, establish new businesses in the region, and would boost the local economy. So this is similar to the stories that we've had on the show before uh, relating to um, sometimes one-pound places that you can buy uh, with undertaking to do up in parts of continental Europe. So really interesting there uh, to see uh, how that works. You might have to Google that one. Finally, a little bit of the old bad landlord, bad tenant news, and uh, sorry to bring this to you, but sometimes these work as a word of warning. This article from Stuff Business says, Landlord of dangerous insanitary basement property to pay former tenant $25,000. So a landlord of a basement flat ruled unlawful by the Tenancy Tribunal has been ordered to pay a former tenant more than $25,000 in compensation. The flat, rented out by Dunedin's Quentin Donald, was ruled dangerous and insanitary, which is interesting because I thought it was unsanitary, but um, feel, feel free to comment if, if, if not, but uh, dangerous and insanitary by the Dunedin City Council, which carried out an inspection of the property in June last year. The council was prompted to investigate after the tenant's health deteriorated to the point that he was admitted to hospital because of his living conditions. That's awful. Council report said the basement flat had no ventilation, rotting carpets and moisture and rot around the base of the walls. The tenancy began in April 2019 for a three-year fixed term but ended in June 2021 when the council inspection resulted in a Dangerous Buildings Act notice being issued. Some crazy stuff here. The council found, for example, a door had been installed in the property's firewall and structural piles to the basement had been removed to support beams installed without a building consent. Donald told the tribunal he had done no work or repairs on the basement flat since he bought it. 
the property in 2012. He said the flat was already rented out when he bought the two-storied house and he assumed it was up to standard. But tribunal adjudicator Jane Wilson said she did not, and this is a quote, did not consider the failure of the landlord to undertake due diligence as a plausible reason for continuing to rent out the basement. While Donald may not have undertaken the original work, he contributed to the unlawfulness by continuing to rent the premises to the tenant, she said. The property was described as an older-style wooden brick home divided into six units by a member of Tenancy Compliance and Investigations team. The tribunal saw evidence that Donald had discussed the healthy home standards with the tenant, but had told the tenant he did not need to comply with the Act until 2024. As well as a compensation for unlawful living conditions, Donald was also accused of harassing his tenant. The tenant said Donald visited the property most weekends. There were several other units at the property and Donald did maintenance and upkeep work periodically, which interfered with the tenant's quiet enjoyment. That in itself is a word of warning to landlords who spend too much time at rented properties. Donald also piled up building rubble and waste in the backyard, which meant the tenant was unable to use the washing line. The tribunal accepted the tenant's claims of harassment, but since no compensation was applied for, no additional money was awarded to the tenant. Interesting, so they would have got some more money for that if they'd simply asked. The tribunal's compliance investigation team found Donald owns five other properties, three in Dunedin and two in Hamilton. His previous dealings with the team about non-legitment of bonds, smoke alarms and insulation certificates. And this should be why all landlords in this country should be regulated. However, the tribunal ruled Donald to pay $24,300 compensation for rent paid by the tenant during the tenancy. So in other words, if you're renting an unlawful building, you may have to refund all rent received. Donald must also pay $680 for lost wages to the tenant after the tenant had to take a week off work to find new accommodation because the property was ruled dangerous by the council. So that's just a bit of words of warning there. Um, be really careful when buying a property that things like um, what you might call sleepouts, outbuildings and so forth are actually lawful because if they're unlawful and you rent it uh, and the tenant finds out, they can ask for all of their rent back in its entirety and the law is clear that you cannot rent unlawful dwellings and they will rule in almost every case that you have to give back all of the rent and potentially pay compensation. So word of warning there, if you have a property where you've got extra dwellings or or extra rooms that have been added and so forth to make sure that those do comply with all laws uh, relating to real estate, in particular the building code, council bylaws, health and safety um, and so forth and the Residential Tenancies Act of course. It's been lovely having your company here on Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Ngā Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, and you can find this show wherever all good podcasts are found or here on npr.nz. Thanks for joining in. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.